So we begin. Hello to anyone who's watching or listening. I've been thinking long and hard about how I want to go about talking about the topic of leadership and uh, breaking it down. There's so many things I want to look at. So I'm just going to break them down, look at small concepts or topics week by week, session by session, and just just uh, love some feedback, love some uh, conversations, just some maybe advice from anyone out there who's who's got an opinion on uh, what I'm talking about. But um, today, I want to talk about, first thing I want to talk about is followership. I first found out about followership a few years ago when I was sitting in a lecture and lecturer mentioned the importance of followership within the leadership model. I'd never really thought about it before. I'd looked at the importance of the leader and the makeup of the leader, the aspects of the leader, what made them that. And I'd never thought about the people following. And I've, I find it fascinating because if, because the example would be this, you've got two, let's just say presidential election. You've got two, two people who are going to be president and they i could ask you what makes a good leader and you might say i'm just hypothetically you might say they're organized they are decisive and aggressive i might say the opposite but that's my opinion of the, how good they are as a leader so i will vote for person B, and you might vote for person A, depending on what our perception is of what makes a good leader. Now, in politics, generally, it's about them selling you or what they say they're going to do. But the, the makeup of what I believe a good leader to be is very different to what someone else believes it's going to be. So I have been looking at this a lot. And I've been I've been reading a lot of articles on followership and the power of the follower. So example, this would be if you have 100 people who decide to stop following a leader, that leader is now not the leader anymore. So followers have a lot of power in the, the leadership model, which will give a leader with charm and charisma a huge advantage because they can like the the snake charmer or or the pie piper plays his little flute gets all the rats to follow so it's very advantageous to have a lot of charisma as a leader now if you've got someone who's very 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 charismatic but a shit leader they might still be the ones who get voted in because the charisma allows them to sell themselves. So in a way, in a voting scenario, you want to be more of a salesman than a good leader because you could be the best leader in the world, but if you can't sell yourself to the people in a situation where it's a voting situation, you might never get voted in. So in a... Uh, what would you call it, situational leadership environment. So say 
there's a car accident and someone just takes control, people just do listen because that person has decided to take control. That That is a situation where 10 people panic, one person takes charge and they, in a way, are voting themselves in as leader. But in a voting scenario, a politician scenario, what you know, where, where, where everyone gets a fair chance to vote for who's in charge, this is where the, f- the if you want to call it manipulation of the follower becomes super important. Now, here's my take on this. Is this, this is something I really want to go into and uh, I think is what I'm going to base my PhD on. I kind of want to disprove the system because there's lots of people who, lots of academics who who I've read, I've spoken to, I've listened to, and they've said there's no such thing as a unanimously great leader. There's no kind of set definition of what makes a great leader. Now, I've been thinking about this, and I disagree with that statement. I think there is i don't think it's the stereotypical answers that people would say but i do believe there's something in this now if you look at if you look at let, let's let's take for example i say i wrote a questionnaire of what makes the perfect leader and i gave a 100 women between the ages of 50 to 60 in Cambodia, this questionnaire, and I asked them open questions as to what they believe makes a good leader. I guarantee that their answers are going to be so different to the next demographic of a hundred men from Croatia, who are in the, say, between the ages of 20 to 30. So the Croatian men are going to have a very, very different idea of what makes a great leader compared to the women from Cambodia. It also makes a big difference depending on your experience of a leader. So so let's take the people who've grown up in a communist country. Um Let's use let's use um, Castro as an example. Castro in Cuba. Now, if someone was born the year Castro came into power, that's all they're ever going to have known. And then, if you ask them while Castro was still in power, what makes a great leader? Their experience is going to be of Castro, and that is their perception of what a powerful leader is whereas if you go to a another country where someone's democratically i was gonna say demographically then democratically voted in they are going to have again a very very different perception of what a let's call it more charismatic um keeper of the peace that 
they're the, the both those groups and those people who've grown up in those different environments are going to have very different opinions of what a leader is uh, i also think your gender makes a big difference so a woman who's grown up in a uh, let's just say strict muslim country where without upsetting anyone women women's rights and um position within the cultural hierarchy is very 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 different to a let's say united kingdom for example where where i know it's still not equal and i know there's a it's a whole different debate but the point is <clears throat> women have a very different are going to have a very different opinion from where they've grown up uh i think race will come into it so people who've been oppressed so if you've got a minority from a country and they've been oppressed they're gonna have a very different opinion again so i think the stereotype of what a great leader is to you is very different to someone else now this is where i want to prove that the model falls down because if a great leader was a compassionate person who led with their heart and and was just a very very good protective leader thoughtful and then you had on the flip side someone who was very aggressive and impulsive and not a very good leader the problem you have is the follower demographic if they if they are conditioned to believe that an aggressive decisive person makes the better leader that's who they're going to vote in so you end up with the perception of the followers having possibly creating leaders and then a continuation of of that type of leader because that's their perception of what a leader should be so i believe that there are there are a lot of um miseducated i don't know if that even if that's a word there's there's a lot of there's a lot of places in the world where where probably every country in the world where people aren't taught what a great leader truly is and what a truly great leader is so and again, people's opinions of what a great leader are different. So if I try and convince someone that the compassionate person is a better leader and their opinion is no, that we want this aggressive dictator because they believe that's what's right, then I, it's so difficult for me to convince them otherwise. So educating the followership is probably the best way to end up with more great leaders now this goes for the argument with women as well I, I read a an article i'm gonna have to find out who it's from um but there was an article on female leaders and the whole point of it super interesting was that men more women no more men were voted in as leaders because uh there have been more le male leaders in the past so people they stick to what they know and they stick to what they believe and they think is right now here's the super interesting thing a lot of these men 
believe they are good leaders because they think they are what the previous leader was. Now, there are many examples of women who are brilliant leaders, but the problem is they don't believe it themselves because they are conditioned to think that women are bad leaders. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where these women could be incredible leaders, but they don't believe it themselves. So they don't put themselves in the position to get voted in. And then the people wouldn't vote them in anyway because it's so different from what they know. So studying this followership, uh, if you want to call it false stereotype, uh, perception, false perception of what is a good leader or great leader is something I really want to prove and disprove, if you want to class it as that, that the, that the whole system's broken. So instead of trying to say, well, these are, this is what a great leader is, I think first you need to prove that the followership model's broken. So how can you find out what a great leader is until you essentially prove that you can't go on who's been voted in the past? You could have 10 leaders and say, oh, nine of them are very, very similar, but nine of them might be very wrong. They might be the wrong answer. So just because you have the, the, um, the nine most common uh, traits or, or the nine, the nine leaders who have the most common traits, you might say, oh, well, those traits are common in 90% of our previous leaders. Therefore that must be the right trait. Wrong. Wrong. I think you need to instead scrap everything, scrap everything that's ever been of the, if you start doing statistical analysis, it's going to be wrong because you've got too many leaders that were voted in incorrectly so you kind of need to prove that and i'm gonna do that by using quantitative data i mean i could be completely wrong but i don't think i am i'm going to use quantitative data to um basically send out questionnaires to places all around the world countries all around the world uh trying to find different age groups different genders different uh classes everything really different religions i think religions will have a have a different perception different religions will have a different perception of what a great leader is so again it's about proving that the perception is an issue the perception of what a great leader is so the followership if the followership model is broken then how can you have a good leadership model it won't work it it will be forever repeating the mistakes of yesterday so the next thing that i found super fascinating was the manipulation versus persuasion debate now i asked a lecturer professor in leadership studies i asked him what the difference was and he said manipulation is inherently bad and persuasion is inherently good and i uh, didn't sit right with me so i did some digging i uh 
looked up the definitions of both. Um, and in brief, persuasion is talking someone into something, and manipulation is coercing someone into doing something without... against their will, if you want to call it that. So you're you're getting them to do something without them necessarily agreeing to it. Now, again, examples of this would be an extremist suicide bomber is probably going to be manipulated into believing that is the right thing to do, taking advantage of, the brain is going to be, they're going to be brainwashed and they believe that they are doing the right thing. So they've been manipulated for evil gain. Persuasion would be, uh, again, if you're looking at the positive, the opposite, so the positive side of it, persuasion would be, I have a friend who would love to be a doctor, but he doesn't have the confidence, so I, I talk him into it and say it'd be brilliant for you it would blah 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 and i persuade him to make that step now i think that's too simple of an answer because i think if you go one step deeper down the rabbit hole persuasion can be used for bad so if i peer pressure perfect example someone knows what you're getting them to do but you're you're persuading them oh go on go on go and kick the dog uh, and and you're persuading someone by whatever means but but you're making it obvious of what you're asking them to do on the flip side i believe you can manipulate someone for good so if I had a friend who didn't want to, say, uh, I'm trying to think of anything, um, go, just just say, again, become a doctor. But I don't know why that's a good thing, but let's just say become a doctor. Now, if I try and persuade them, I know I'm never going to get there because they're so adamant they're not going to do it. So manipulation would be convincing them that it's their idea it would be it would be without making it obvious it would be brainwashing them but for the greater good for their good so i believe persuasion is also a very short-term thing i can persuade someone to do something in the moment whereas i think manipulation is something that is more of a long-term activity so it's something that you generally need to form that relationship you plant that seed and then you water it and you watch it grow so manipulation is is a something that takes more time um now here's where it gets interesting persuasion persuasion is there's less skill involved in persuasion. My opinion, my opinion, there's less skill. 
Whereas manipulation requires a lot more skill, a lot more practice, a lot higher emotional intelligence. Um, it's kind of like the film, if you've ever seen the film Inception, where you're planting an idea into someone's head so and they believe it is their idea. But instead of doing it within a dream, you're doing it in the waking world and you need to do it without them realizing you're doing it. So it's, there's quite a skill in manipulation. Now, as... I love a film reference, by the way, but Spider-Man. In Spider-Man, when Uncle Ben says the famous quote, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. So if you have the power to manipulate, it is on you and your conscience to use your manipulative skills for good and selfless acts rather than personal gain because if you manipulate for personal gain that can be seen as quite bad whereas if you are manipulating for the benefit of someone else then this can be this is basically a selfless act so so I, I think, I think, I, I, it's a very, it's a very difficult subject to talk about when, when people who can manipulate don't quite understand the skill or are involved in manipulating. So it's very difficult to convince people that someone can manipulate for selfless acts of kindness so i think i think looking at manipulation as a very useful tool of a leader to to run their group i think if you said I'm a great leader because I'm very manipulative, I think I think people would say, no, that's wrong, it's evil, it's bad. Whereas I think if you looked at, for example, you have a group of people, you have a very toxic apple, bad apple within that group, you need to, for the greater good of the group, manipulate that person to think it's their idea to leave the group. Now, if you try and persuade them, they will probably to spite you and to piss you off, they will stay because some people are like that. Whereas if you manipulate them into believing that it is their choice and they are getting one over on you, you are getting what you want and they think they are getting what they want. So I think manipulation is a very, very, very powerful tool that needs to be handled responsibly. I just don't think there are many people out there who are selfless enough with that power to not use it for self-gain. So another super interesting topic I'm desperate to delve into more. And I want to speak to, I'd love to interview an expert on manipulation. Um, and I'd love to see their opinion and hear about their their expert knowledge on how 
I mean, the perception of manipulation is really bad, like I said, but I'd love, I'd love to know how someone could improve their manipulation skills on it and, and if it can be improved, because I do believe it is a very, very, very important skill for a leader to possess. I mean, you need that emotional intelligence, but again, to, you're, you're never going to persuade everyone to do everything, however much charisma you've got. You need the charisma and you need the power of persuasion, but I think manipulation and being able to manage your group like a puppet master and everyone believing that they are happy, you convincing them they're happy, you convincing them that what they're doing they want to be doing, as long as it's for the greater good of the group and it's not done maliciously, I believe it's a very useful tool. Again, a lot of people would disagree with me, but like I said, I'd love to interview someone on manipulation. I'd love to interview uh, a psychologist on on that subject because it fascinates me. Manipulation is is a dangerous tool. It's a dangerous thing. I think it's a superpower that that some people have and some people don't. So yes, yeah, fascinates me. So. Sorry about the incessant rambling. It's kind of what I do when I'm thinking and formulating. So apologies. Uh, I will probably tone that down a bit when I'm speaking to other people and formulating ideas with them. But yeah, when I'm looking at these ideas on my own and uh, discussing different articles and theories and things that are already out there, yeah, I probably will ramble some shit. So appreciate you sticking with me apologies if i lost you anywhere or repeated myself or anything like that but uh it's a topic i'm fascinated with and obsessed with so i probably could talk about it for hours and hours and hours so uh again thank you and i really looking forward to the next one